The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, so I've been really thinking about this and, and, and really just giving it every bit of my energy. I think that we should be able to discover who put the cocaine in a cubby hole in a West Wing entry area, which is, happens to be the room where visitors place electronics and other belongings before they go on tours. Um, so I think that the Secret Service has to check the visitor logs and look at the cameras. You know, the... You know, the idea that this is a heavily traveled area where many West Wing visitors come through, um, that's a little bizarre, right? Possession of cocaine is, is, a, is a criminal act. It's a controlled substance. It's a Schedule II drug. So I don't care who left it. There ought to be a complete and thorough investigation. But... Uh, we all know that that's not what's going to happen. You know, they're going to check the cameras and they're not going to be able to come to any conclusions and they're therefore um, just going to sweep the whole thing under the rug. <clears throat> and the fact that we have evidence that Hunter Biden was at the White House that day doesn't mean a darn thing. Now, mind you, if Donald Trump had been at the White House, he would now be in leg irons and uh, with a possession charge slapped on him you just you just have to scratch your head really just can't imagine that there is so much nuttiness in the white house right now first you had the the naked transgender people on the parading around on the lawn you know hugging the president of the united states and now you have uh you know you have cocaine in the white house and of course, the biggest news of the day, or at least what people are trying to drum up a lot of enthusiasm about, by the way, let me first and foremost thank all of the listeners. And there were a lot of people who totally had the same experience I did going to see the movie Sound of Freedom. They didn't cry, they got mad. You know, that, that was my my whole uh, experience. I got madder and madder as the movie went on. And I'm still furious. And I am getting involved in two specific charities. And once I vetted them both completely, I'll share that with you. But there are people besides the Underground uh, Railroad that Glenn Beck and Tim Ballard had set up there are some other agencies, very well-known, prestigious agencies, who are rescuing child victims of uh, sex trafficking. And, you know, it's time to put an end to this. And it won't happen if the entire public doesn't get behind this effort. Because apparently our politicians have known about it for years and are not that moved. You know, they're just not that moved. So I'm moved. If you're moved, then we have to, we have to get busy. And we have to find out um, what exactly we can do to prevent this. And first and foremost, I really, I, I want to understand how this kind of behavior has grown so dramatically. 
I mean, th- is the internet responsible for this? What what happened to all of us or to mankind that we now think it's totally appropriate to trade images of underage children engaging in sex and then to actually have sex with underage children? Something's wrong with us. You know, society is very, very, very sick and very competitive, which is the other news story that really just is making me um, just cringe, really, you know. Um, why on earth are we having so many incidents in airplanes with people just going berserk, really? You know, some guy got stabbed in in the air. You know, passengers on a flight from uh, Gatwick, England to Sa- Santa Lucia. A man got stabbed in midair. And he's blaming British Airways for giving the assailant an endless supply of alcohol and ignoring men who harassed women and blocked access to the toilet as they partied for hours. What, what is going on in the air? You know, then this morning on the morning show, I heard them talking about some lady who went uh, completely berserk and Carrot Top happened to be on the plane. Now, I think I know who Carrot Top is. I think he's the comic with the bright orange hair. Is that like who he is? I guess. But, you know, the, what's wrong? Why are we all on the verge of either a nervous breakdown or an act of violence? And you can't tell me that we can't figure out what's causing this. I think I have a good idea. But you know what? I want everybody to think about it. I want everybody to really decide what has changed within the last, let's say, I I happen to be 69 years old. In the last 50 years, there have been some very dramatic changes in the way human beings relate to one another. And it follows multiple world wars, a holocaust, uh, what I call a holocaust against the unborn, and the devaluation of life. You know, I'm reading articles that should make people cringe, and yet they're just these sort of scientific articles. You know, um, well, in in certain parts of uh, Scandinavia, autism is a sufficient reason to terminate a life. Now, I I can't wrap my mind around that. I really can't. You know, first and foremost, I'm not quite sure what all these diagnoses of autism or Asperger's and Spectrum, I don't understand why there's such a preponderance of them today, and we're not looking for some causal evidence. You know, is it something in the water? Is it something in the air? Is it something in the medications, in the vaccines? What is it? Because you don't just go from zero to 100 unless you're driving a Maserati in this short a period of time. Now, some, I like when people say, well, you know, when you were a child, uh, they, they had one newscast every evening and you didn't know what was going on in the rest of the world unless they sent a reporter there and it was only during a war and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but... 
I have read enough history to tell you that I know all about the vile and despicable acts of human beings for a time immemorial. But they were different. And they were done with very different motivations. And they were generally about power and about conquering. You know, whether it was a people or a nation, uh, it was always one group of people trying to subdue another group of people. Now, it's individuals trying to subdue each other at every level. You know, I, I'm reading the classics, or I'm reading books that, uh, that I may have read a long time ago, maybe didn't, and writers that I enjoyed when I was young, even as a teenager. <clears throat> one of those writings is John Irving. And I think people are probably most familiar with John Irving because he wrote a book called uh, The World According to Garp, which was made into an incredibly good film. One of the few times the film was actually as good as the book. And he also uh, wrote The Hotel New Hampshire. That movie was nowhere near as good as the book. And a book called A Prayer for Owen Meany, which I had never read. And a friend of mine who reads a lot, like I do, she was a, 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 a teacher and a principal in New York City, and a, a voracious reader like me. And she said, have you read A Prayer for Owen Meany lately? Or have you ever read it? And I had said to her, you know what? I don't think I have ever read that book. And so that was the book that I just finished consuming. And what was so clear to me was how people seemed so full of conscience, you know, and, and conviction about right and wrong straight through the 50s, which would, you know, be my earliest years, into the 60s. And then at the end of the 60s, the anti-war movement basically said, the only thing that matters is that you're happy. And if it involves hurting someone else, that's okay. You know, even if it involves hurting yourself, that's okay. You know, for a temporary feel-good, you can throw away your entire future. And that's basically the message that was given. And, and we didn't need an internet to get the message, right? We gathered in public places and we did things which prior to the, uh, you know, the late 60s and early 70s, nobody would have done in public. You know, the, these uh, be-ins and, and look, I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I'm pointing my finger at myself. It wasn't just a loosening of morals. It was an elimination of any boundaries, any kind of moral boundaries that society had erected and basically had erected them so we would safeguard ourselves and safeguard one another and most importantly, safeguard children. We don't do that anymore. We, we don't safeguard children at all. If a child has a notion that they are actually a boy even though they are currently living in a female body, we tell them at age 12, if you want to have a radical mastectomy, go ahead. How is that protecting children? And I'm not saying that an adult who decides that they are, you know, trapped in the wrong body and diagnosed with gender dysphoria or whatever the new terms are going to be, because they're making up new terms every day, you know, fine, you're, you're an adult and you want to do that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully see that you're provided with adequate counseling 
so that you're not doing it simply because you're unhappy today. You know, or because you think you want to be a cowboy. You know, and then I'll have to live with your decision as an adult. But I don't have to pay for it. You know, this idea that we now have people who are members of the United States military. Now, l let me explain to you what I think about the military. And you know I have nothing but respect for the men and women who serve. Not so much for their commanders anymore, particularly their commander-in-chief. But to the idea that I have a commander-in-chief who makes a big deal about some transgendered soldier's story but completely ignores the stories of most of the military, which include bravery, overcoming uh, you know, fears, putting your life on the line for the sake of your country or the sake of your fellow soldier. No, that's not the stories we get from this administration. No, we have to hear about you know, uh, Sergeant so-and-so who was uh, born a man but decided that uh, they weren't a man and now they're you know, uh, Admiral Rachel Levine. I don't know, whoever they are. But why is that the story that we feature? As I pointed out in my uh, podcast, that's the story that we feature while China is showing the strength and might of their military, and Russia is leaning on China now because their military's fallen apart. Not because they make them, you know, uh, question their gender, but because they're in a unbelievably useless and un, un I don't even know how to, uh, what is the invasion of Ukraine? It's insanity on Putin's part. But it's an insanity that didn't happen under the last commander-in-chief. Didn't happen under Obama either, and I'm not giving Obama any great credit for it, but it was uh, the Obama administration was an object lesson for Putin and Xi Jinping and, and all the mullahs in Iran to see what happens when the left controls the government. You know, just wait. Things have a way of turning around. That's what these guys were thinking. They stay in power forever. Xi Jinping will be in power until he drops dead. Putin got in power, got out of power, got in power, got out of power, got back in power. You know, so these guys are on this perpetual leadership uh, rodeo or whatever, merry-go-round. Not in this country. You know, eight years, you're done. And so you can wait out a president like uh, Donald Trump, you know. And, and if you go to great lengths to make sure he doesn't get a second term, which I believe foreign influences did, and even his own party members, and definitely the Democrats did with all made-up stuff, right? You can get rid of him, wait until the next guy comes in. Hopefully it'll be a, a, a blithering idiot like we have right now. And then you can do what you want. Take Taiwan. What do you want to do? Do, do whatever you want. You know, there's, there's no strong man anymore to be afraid of. Shameful. It's really shameful. And, and, and it gives me... It just makes me more motivated. That's all I can tell you. You know, some people say, don't you feel like giving up? Not at all. I am not giving up. I'm going to find out why we accept these out-of-control situations on airplanes, why we accept these, you know, uh, abysmal acts, which I consider child abuse against children who are confused and I, I'm, I, we got to get to the bottom of this, which is why Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has made such an appealing candidate out of himself. Think about it. 
you know, here's somebody on the left who dares to say, like, well, maybe uh, maybe these vaccines have something to do with some of this uh, aggression, and, and maybe it has something to do with this gender dysphoria. Oh, my God, you'd think that, that, uh, that he was a crazy person for asking those questions. I'm asking the same questions, and apparently so are a lot of other people, which is leading him to become quite a contender. Very interesting, huh? Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. Then you can participate in our contest right on your phone. Or you can go to our website, 850WFTL.com, and you could register to win sweepstakes. Right now, we're giving away a pair of tickets for a sunset tour at the Jupiter Lighthouse. You get to climb to the top and take in the spectacular sunset views. You have to enter to win, and you could do that either at our app or at 850WFTL.com. And also, you'll get all the alerts from Storm Central as we uh, go through this hurricane season and these heat advisories together. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. So, you know, try and tell me that people who live in San Francisco are not out of their minds. Oh, wait a minute. My daughter and her husband and my grandsons live in San Francisco, but they are out of their minds. You know, uh, the little ones less. The little ones have already started to notice that like, this is a weird place. You know, there's some weird stuff that goes on here, but it's all they know. So, you know, it, it, when you're born and raised somewhere, it just seems natural. I was born and raised in, you know, Washington Heights, in Manhattan, in New York. You know, New York's a place that holds mystery and people say, oh, I'm going to New York. I can't wait to see New York. Well, if you grow up in Manhattan, it's not such a mystery. And when I was growing up in Manhattan, it was, uh, you know, I didn't know anything else. <laughs> you know, I thought everywhere that you lived, you had to look straight up, put your head all the way back and look straight up to see the sky because there were tall buildings all around me, at least five stories, right? So the only way I saw the sky in the middle of my neighborhood was to look straight up, right? Or luckily I could go down to the park at the end of my block and it looked out over the East River and then I could see the sky over the East River. But, you know, kids who grow up in Montana don't have that experience. But kids who grow up in San Francisco have to look forward to something that's going on right now. And my daughter and her family live literally across the street from Golden Gate Park. I mean, not two blocks away, not one block away. They are literally look out onto Golden Gate Park. It's called Lincoln Road or whatever that street is. I think it's Lincoln. They look out on the park, and right now, they're watching huge crowds of people going to the Conservatory of Flowers. Now, I used to walk to the Conservatory of Flowers with my young, oldest grandson in that family, Benjamin. He loved to go and look at all of the flowers. They, you know, they just do beautiful displays. Well, now they're lining up for a rare flower that smells like rotting flesh, and is described as, quote, worse than 1,000 pukes. And it's literally bringing hundreds of spectators to Golden Gate Park. And I got confirmation of this from my family, right? This is a, a, a plant that's known as a corpse flower. And it's, it's supposed to bloom like today or tomorrow. And it only lasts a few days. So it, it's huge, too. It reaches like 12 feet high. And... 
It can take uh, between a few years or more, more than a decade sometimes, for the corpse flower to drum up enough energy to unfurl this beautiful burgundy petal-like leaf to reveal a very phallic-looking center that's called a spathe. It, the flower in San Francisco is named scarlet. Only in San Francisco would you name a flower that smells like a thousand pukes, okay? And it's one of five corpse flowers at the conservatory. And the last time she bloomed was in 2019. And back then, people lined up to get a glimpse and a whiff of scarlet. My daughter at the time said to me, you should go. It's like a once in a lifetime experience. And I said, why would I want to smell something that looks like the ref that smells like the refrigerator at work, which hadn't been cleaned out in a few months and had actually been turned off. So it was warm. <laughs> only, only in San Francisco. I mean, there are corpse flowers in other places and conservation places and in Indiana and all these other places. People don't line up to see them, but in San Francisco, you know, what's the difference, right? It all stinks anyway. Just saying. If you're stepping over, you know, uh, human feces and, and, and drug addicts in the street, the pungent flower might actually be a relief for you. I just don't know. But it's just crazy. All right. And now, you know, I do have to get to this story because really, I love the way the media can make any story bigger than it is right? All of a sudden we're being told sharks are just jumping out of the water and biting people. You know, uh, they just had a, a scene in Navarre Beach in Pensacola, right? Four attacks in New York's beaches at, I think, Orchard Beach, right? And the, in Pensacola, what happened was, you know, there's a whole bunch of people in the water and you see the picture. I mean, it's crazy to look at this picture. And the people are, you know, walking around, milling around. And the people on shore are screaming, get out of the water, get out of the water. Because the shark is completely visible. The fin is sticking up. And he's like, eh, I don't know. His tail fin is about two feet away from, you know, a, a guy and his kid. And there are, you know, all these people milling around, you know. And so, oh, this has never happened before. They have all these pictures of the shark fin sticking out of the water. Now, let me explain something to people out there. You know, there have always been sharks and they have always been in the beaches. What there hasn't always been are people in those beaches on the water. There used to be very small areas which people ever gathered to be under. I grew up in New York, I said that before. And like, you know, I went to Orchard Beach. I went to, you know, uh, uh, Brighton Beach. I went to, uh, that's about it. You know, I didn't have a lot of experience. I came down to visit my grandmothers in Florida. Well, particularly my bubby, who lived on Collins Avenue. And, uh, you know, I went to Miami Beach. But now, you know, human beings have taken over every inch of beach. And then they're surprised that the creatures that live in the beach, that live in the water, are coming around, you know. And, uh, and guess what? They're not friendly. They don't know what you're doing there. And, and they don't have to be friendly to you. You need to be mindful. You can't even tell in these pictures if the shark is swimming towards the people or just hanging around. 
you know, I have no idea. But you would think that we had never had shark sightings to listen to the way the media has gone berserk over this. You know, I turned on a, a New York program earlier, and it was all they could talk about. You know, there were four shark bites at, at Orchard Beach. Well, my goodness, if a shark bites one person at the beach, get out of the water and stay out of the water. You know, put up a sign. Do something, right? But no, you know, we're, we're just going to test the water and test the sharks and test the bears and, you know, do things that, uh, that, that human beings should know better. You know, uh, yeah, I like to remind people that even a naturalist who understood the dangers inherent in dealing with creatures that are wild, are in the wild, the crocodile hunter, ended up, you know, killed by a manta ray, right? He knew that that was always a possibility. You know, I guess people thought he'd uh, end up, you know, uh, crocodile food, but that's not how he went. But he took those risks, knowing full well. When people ask me why I don't go into the beach very often and never go in very willing, I'll go in to do a baptism. That's about it. You know, I just, I am not a fish. I am not a bird. Although I have flown a small craft a number of times. I'm depending on an engine even in a small craft. Um, but, th but this idea of just, you know, swimming around in a beach where there's been shark sightings, like not appealing to me. I'm not chasing hurricanes or I'm not, uh, you know, going to go, go driving towards the tornadoes. I'm just not that uh, crazy is really what it is. And it's getting to the point where I'm very reluctant to get on airplanes because people are going berserk on airplanes, like literally going crazy. And again, what's going on? What, what is happening that we're all so out of control? Well, maybe it's too much uh, of, of this clickbait media telling us that we should be afraid. All right, let me take a quick break. I'll, you stay right where you are. I'll be right back. And of course, it's very easy sometimes when I'm on the path that I'm on right now and I'm talking about the things that I'm talking about because everybody is having the same experience, right? You know, I'm not unique in that I notice that there is a much uh, stronger propensity to people just losing it everywhere. I mean, they lose it in parking lots and they lose it on the highways and they lose it in the supermarkets and they lose it on airplanes and they just, they're all like uh, tight, tightly wound, and it just doesn't take much to set it off. And I, I have to believe that it's a multifaceted problem that humanity is facing right now and better get a handle on, or we're just going to, uh, we're just going to be killing each other off. I mean, I'm looking at this shooting that took place in Philadelphia, you know, and, and trust me, uh, there's a hundred different stories out there about the, the shooting, and none of them speak well, okay? We know that the person who uh, was responsible for the shooting had pictures of himself dressed in women's clothing. Now, 
I don't think because you choose to dress in women's clothing that you are a mass shooter. But I do think that if you're a 40-year-old man and you dress in women's clothing and put pictures of yourself up on the internet and they're angry pictures in which you also talk about the value of the Second Amendment, not the way I talk about it, not the way Colin Noir talks about it, but the way this guy was talking about it, well, let me tell you something. You, uh, you ought to report it to the authorities. That's all I'm going to say. Because you're on the verge of doing what this guy did. When we stopped saying that some of this behavior is just wacky, we ended up legitimizing a lot of behaviors that really are signs that somebody is very troubled, perhaps troubled enough and to do something crazy like this. You know, every time we have one of these mass shootings, it's immediately, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna frame this a little differently. I'm gonna come at it from a different angle and I think you'll understand why. Every time there's a mass shooting, they used to immediately say, nobody should have a gun. You know, uh, guns should only be in the hands of the military and law enforcement, and nobody needs an AR, and nobody needs this and that. And that and that's, was always their go-to. And it didn't work. You know, and one day they woke up, and they realized that what I'd been saying all along was absolutely true, that there were 300 million guns in America and over 100 million people who possessed at least one of them. Now, those are very, very, very daunting numbers to have to go up against, right? So they, they needed like a, a kind of a new tact. And they, they you know, the, the one thing about government is it always finds the back door. You know, if, if you're worried about your Second Amendment, well, then we're not going to come f straight at you and say, you know, give us your guns. No, no, no. We'll raid a gun store in Montana and get all of their records so that we now know who owns what. And this will take a long time, right, to, to, to gather the information that I believe they're gathering through the back door. And it won't matter if there's a, you know, a, a Second Amendment you know, pro-Second Amendment guy in the White House or not, because the bureaucracy is so entrenched. You know, uh, the ATF and the, and the Homeland Security, the, they're not being run by the people that are appointed by any given president. If you think that, then you are, you know, really very naive. There's uh, layers and layers and layers of bureaucrats in there, many of them installed by very liberal administrations. I think for the most part, you know, the people that are drawn to that kind of job working in a big bureaucracy are not conservatives. They're just not, not by and large. See, conservatives want to do things like start a business. Conservatives want to get rich. You know, th that's what they keep saying, right? And I kind of agree with that. Conservatives want freedom. Conservatives want to be able to uh, you know, own a, a weapon to protect themselves, their families, and their property. That's a conservative kind of thing. They don't want to work for the, uh, you know, ATF. N most of them who go into fields where they are 
uh, either in law enforcement at the highest levels, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Homeland Security, Border Patrol. Most of the people who go there end up very, as ground soldiers, end up very disillusioned, right? They don't feel like they're being heard by the powers that make the decisions. And so it's a very high turnover rate in a lot of those agencies, but not in the bureaucracy part of those agencies. Those people stay there forever. You know, they die with the proverbial legislative pen in their hand. They write legislation and hand it to Congress who willingly passes legislation without even reading it. And I know that to be a fact because I, I know congressmen who have had to admit to me that they voted in, in a way that they probably shouldn't have because they didn't read the bill and their staff told them how to vote. You know, that was told to me. And I was supposed to say, oh, okay. Instead, I said, well, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to see that you don't go back to Congress. <laughs> you know, because that's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be a government by the people, you know, me and you. So when I, I, I see these bureaucracies using back doors to get at people's Second Amendment rights, you know, I have to ask the question, why are we not asking what causes people and how may some of the medications that we are so freely dispensing to disturbed people actually be contributing to the problem? I'm just saying, you know, we never heard another word about the uh, trans shooter of the uh, Catholic school, the Christian school, who was on either puberty block, not puberty blockers, hormones, you know, what happens when you pump testosterone into anybody, whether it's a male or a female, is you are definitely going to have a more masculine and aggressive human being, which is the same reason that when you pump estrogen and like progesterone combinations into a man, you are going to get a feminized man. That's just science. I know they don't like to hear that, but that's science. And so what are we doing? You know, I, I long ago stopped eating, you know, poultry, not because I'm, you know, in love with chickens or turkeys or any other poultry, but because I understood the level of hormones that were being administered in the feed to these chickens. And I don't care how you shape it. You know, it, it's a ch personal choice. My husband eats chicken. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not on a campaign against chicken. Some people say it's a minimal amount of hormones that you might be receiving. But all I know is men stop being men. A lot of men stopped being men. And m men serve a very valuable purpose in society. They lead but they can't lead if they're feminized. You know, when we decided that the metrosexual guy was the one we wanted, you know, the one who waxed his eyebrows, men said, okay, I'll do that. And, and just sissified him. I don't know how else to, you know, I read that book Manhood by uh, Josh Hawley, and it's true, just sissified an entire generation. I'm so grateful that I bent over backwards to make sure that my son, who lived with two women, me and his sister, spent as much time with the rowdiest men I could find. 
you know, the coaches and the, and the, you know, the really tough guys. I made sure that his coaches didn't cut him any slack. You know, if he has to sit on the bench, he has to sit on the bench, man up. Because I look around and I see his contemporaries, his colleagues, even at uh, TMZ, sissified, you know, just, just not, not willing to take the lead on anything, not willing to take a chance, not brave, not protectors, not priests of their home. Nope, nope, nope. I don't know if sissified is a word, but that's what they are. And it's shameful, it really is. Anyway, don't forget Dan Bongino, who's the furthest thing from sissified. His show is on after. I think he's still away on vacation, he much needed vacation, but he has uh, made some pretty powerful statements from his vacation about the cocaine that was found in the White House, which you should uh, pay attention to. And then at four o'clock is Ben Shapiro, at five o'clock Matt Walsh, at six o'clock the WPTV Local News, Bill O'Reilly, and a whole slew of other very wonderful talk show hosts coming up after that all night long until 6 a.m. when the South Florida Morning Show returns. As for me, I have one segment left. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So the other story that I wanted to get to, and I just, uh, you know, probably don't have enough time to cover it adequately, is I, I, um, I, I see the, uh, the media is very excited about uh, Zuckerman, Zuckerberg, rather, and uh, Musk. They're excited that they're maybe going to have a cage match, but they're really excited because... Meta, which is the name of Facebook now, has decided that it's going to release a new app that's going to be the competitor to Twitter, which of course is now owned by Elon Musk, right? So I was looking at some stories today about, uh, you know, the, the, the new, uh, I don't even know how to, what do you call it? It's an app. You know, so it's going to be called The Thread. And it's asking me at a number of websites that I go to, will you sign up for Meta's newly launched Threads app? So I clicked on no. And it brings me to a page which now tells me what the numbers are. 82.9% of people have said no, they will not sign up for the Threads app, and 17.1% said yes. Now, my question is, who is receiving this poll? Because if, if it's only appearing on the websites that I frequent or through uh, newsletters that I get, like American Centrist or, you know, uh, where are they gathering this information? Because I'll bet you that there are just as many people who will sign up for the Threads app as there are people who won't. This country is so divided right now that if you tell somebody that the left is on Threads and the right is on uh, Twitter, then they will divide themselves. They'll stick with their uh, tribe, you know? Now, interestingly enough, when Musk bought Twitter, I'm sure many days he must bang his head against the wall over why he did it and why he did it at that price. He could afford it, but you know anybody else would be crying in their proverbial beer. But uh, he never anticipated 
that a lot of people had gotten used to life without Twitter. I'm one of them. You know, I once I'd been banned, shadow banned, and once I saw that, you know, my uh, followers were disappearing, and once that all happened, I left. And then when he bought it, I kind of came back. You know, I have a Twitter presence, but I don't go on it anymore. It, it's I learned to live without it. And that's the problem with all this technology. It's like it's great when you're all fresh and, you know, new broom sweep clean, as they say. But if it if there's a disconnect at any point or a a fault, you will learn to live without it and you will move on to the next thing. And, you know, what I find myself doing is I'm moving backwards. I'm using less and less technology. I'm doing more and more reading. I'm relying far less on sources that had always seemed reliable to me, and I'm seeking out new sources. And it's really quite enervating. You know, so um, I will not sign up for another app that I would not use. And I'm trying to eliminate the apps. Every time I open up my phone and I see all those, you know, icons, I just, I want to hit delete, 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 delete. But they never disappear completely. Like they're always in some sort of uh, iCloud holding, holding pad or whatever. So it's like, no, I'm not going to try the Threads app. But I'm curious to see. I believe it'll do well. I think it'll get as many, uh, you know, people on it as are on Twitter, maybe even more. I mean, you know, the left loves a gadget. Anyway, that's it for me today. I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Hopefully we'll be able to talk with my son, Derek. We missed him last week and there's a lot of stuff happening in the world of celebrity. And so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Plus, Mama always just loves to talk to her son. In the meantime, may God protect you. You know, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.